Listener Production. Kickbump acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Yulukut Wollum clan of the Boon who are part of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders, past, present, and emerging, and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Welcome to the Kickbump Podcast, your fortnightly DM on all things motherhood. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good, Steph. How are you? I'm great because the episode that we just recorded, which is with Brooke, it was just such a special chat for me. I just feel like I'm, I feel, I feel so good mm. because obviously with Brooke's story, which you will soon learn, um, it's ended quite positively yeah. and she's doing really well. And so I just feel, I don't know, I've picked up on her energy and I, I'm feeling really good right now. I feel the same. She was just a delight. Yeah. I, yeah. Anyway, you're about to hear. Yes, and I will intro her properly in a second. (laughs) First of all, I'm going to do a very, very quick Harvey update. I know I keep talking about his vocabulary and it's usually just new words. Of course, he has been learning lots of new words, but I think what's most impressive is he is now learning how to piece them together. He's up to sentence level. Maybe not quite sentence level, Mandy. I would call it because I've heard heard the audio. I have watched the videos. He'll say things like... um, Bye-bye, Mama, or oh. see you soon, or um, well, green car. <laughs> yeah, like, well, we've got a bit here. Say thank you, Dada. Thank you, Dada. You're welcome, buddy. Yeah, so anyway, <laughs> I just think it's the cutest thing ever, and it I is. just can't wait to actually, like, have full conversations with him. Um, it, it does baffle me, though. Like, I can literally be like, go pick up your socks, and he will go and pick yeah. up his socks. And I know that sounds stupid, but, like, I'm like, wow, you fully understand me. <laughs> yeah, he knows. What you're saying. I know. <laughs> and look, we have introduced a new segment called Toddler Tantrum Tales. Mm. If anyone has a toddler tantrum tale to send in, you can to at KickPod, which is our new Instagram account for the podcast. But um, I do have a really quick one just because it's happened so recently and I don't know how to how to work through it. But Harvey, Harvey this morning, he was calling out to me. I walk in there. This is the first thing in the morning. He's just woken up and he's calling out. I go to pick him up and he says, no. And I said, oh, you don't want me to get you up? No. And he starts tugging at his sleep sack. So I'm like, do you want me to take you out of your sleep sack? No, 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 no. And I'm like, okay. So I'm just standing there like, I don't have a lot of time this morning. Like, can you just yeah, hurry it work up. this out? Because I want to actually spend some time with you. He said, no, 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 no. I start to like try and unzip it. He fully starts to like push me away and get really upset with me. So I said, do you want me to leave? He said, yeah, bye. <gasps> So I'm like, oh my God, it's begun. And I start to walk out of the room and then he starts to scream. So I go back to him and I'm like, have you changed your mind? I get him out. I take him out of his sleep sack. He starts screaming really angry at me for taking him out of his sleep sack. So I'm like, do you want to get back in your cot? And he said, yes. And he was fully like, fully crying. Like, yes, put me back in the cot. I'm like, this is the weirdest thing you don't like. Anyway, I put him back in there and he's just staring at me and he does this full side eye at me. Like fully like... Side eye, like, mm, what do you think you're doing? Like, how dare you not read my mind? Yeah, that I don't even know what I want. <laughs> and I honestly think he sat back down for a second and was like, "Wait, I don't want to be in here." Because then he was really happy to he get just out. Fully didn't know what I he wanted. Like, and- <laughs> oh, it's just a roll coaster. Anyway, we so have cute. another person's story to share as well. Yeah, she actually sent it via video. <laughs> Oh my god, amazing. So the audio is from the video. Oh my god, we so actually you can actually hear the tantrum happening. Oh my god, perfect. Mama! Are we sad because we can't eat Miller's dog food? Do you want some Miller's dog food? Yeah. You can't eat it. <laughs> oh my god. 
Not the cutest thing ever. Harvey's done that. Harvey's done that. I have, to, I have to often watch him. He's okay now, but when he was a younger baby, he would go over to Ari's dog food bowl. Oh, it's so it's funny. The, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to? Yeah. And yeah. then you can't have it. No. Anyway, that was very, very funny. Oh, yes. Thank you for sending it in. Okay. Now to Brooke. Brooke Pitt now, but formerly known as Brooke Hogan. She has quite a presence online. I actually was, fo- I've been following Brooke since before her time on Australia's Next Top Model, yes. which was honestly over a decade ago. Yeah. And actually sparked a friendship with her a decade ago. So longtime friend. She's such a beautiful girl inside and out. She is also a founder um, of many businesses, um, Le Mans, Al Pilates. But recently she has opened up, and I do want to say as well on Brooke, and I think I go into this in the podcast with her as well, but just because someone has a public platform and has a lot of followers doesn't mean that they have to necessarily share every aspect of their life, right? Mm. A lot of a lot of us choose to, and that's okay. And um, you know, some might argue that's that's good, and some might say, no, you get to keep some to yourself. What I've always known of Brooke is that she keeps things really, she keeps her cards really close to her chest. She's if she trusts you, she wholeheartedly trusts you, but she also is a very private person, yeah, and so enough. is her partner. Yeah. And so I think that's just something that they do is they keep a lot to themselves. And so I think it's been incredibly generous how much she has shared about her fertility journey. So she started trying for a baby around two years ago. And I actually do remember having some catch-ups with her um, because we were both kind of in that mindset where we both felt ready to like dive into it. Yeah, she, you have been trying for Harvey around yeah. the same time. And I think, I think I caught up with her when I'd found out that I was pregnant with Harvey. And she'd mentioned that they were kind of like thinking about not trying but trying. Mm. And anyway, so... I've known that she's been on that journey for quite a long time and um, she has, yeah, gone through IUI, IVF and also was just trying for, you know, a year before that as well. Um, But she is now pregnant with her first baby. And so this chat is basically Brooke sharing her story, sharing the journey, the ups and downs, how her partner was there for her and really helped her get through. So, yeah, and I do want to add though um, before we get into it, trigger warning because, Mm. again, she's very generous to the detail that she shares um, and it may be triggering to some, particularly if you're on a fertility journey yourself um, or you might have suffered things like miscarriage and all of that sort of stuff. So I do want to put a trigger warning and those things do get discussed in this podcast today. But otherwise, I hope you get a lot out of it and you enjoy hearing Brooke's story. Brooke, hi. I'm so excited to have you here. We were just saying offline it's been such a long time since we actually got to catch up, so... It's been a million years. Yes. Like we were just saying, I'm pretty sure it was my wedding, yep. which was a year ago. And then before that, it was your hens. But then before that, it was like yeah, years because of we COVID. we went out for breakfast yeah. and you hadn't even had Harvey yet. Oh, that's beautiful right. Beautiful round belly. Yeah. Oh, that's right. So long ago. Oh, my gosh. I need to meet Harvey. I know. <laughs> no. Um, so I would love for you to talk through a little bit of your story, um, a little bit about you and Miles and your your journey into fertility. It's actually, when you mentioned that that cafe catch-up, a thought that comes into my mind was at that cafe catch-up, you were saying, I don't, I haven't got my period. Oh, and, God, so and yeah, and you were already trying and thinking. So obviously it's been, it's been a journey. Congratulations, by the way. You're Thank five you. months? I'm five months in two days. Yeah. Oh, it's so it's exciting. It's gone so quick. So, but it wasn't like the it easiest or shortest. Yeah. So if you don't mind rewinding it, however long it's been and yeah, why and when you started trying. Yeah, cool. So 
Miles and I have been together since uh, we were like 22, 23. So it feels like a lifetime, really. Yeah, we got engaged. My dates are so wrong. No, 20, <laughs> March 2021. Mm-hmm. And like we always kind of knew that we wanted to have a family. And yeah, it kind of was just like unspoken from there. We were like, oh, like maybe we should start trying. And we both are just such family oriented people. So it was sort of just like, oh, let's just like try, not try that kind yeah. of fun Be stage. okay if it happened. Yeah, but, yeah. but you're not like putting pressure on it. Yeah. You're not tracking. Yeah. You're just like, let's just. I think that's where you were careful. when we caught up. Yeah, I was pretty naive at that yeah. point, I think. And I think that's where it gets murky is because you kind of don't really know the road that's ahead of you. Mm. And, I mean, I haven't really had crazy cycles. I've had, you know, heavy periods and stuff and painful periods, but nothing that's kind of ever scared me to the point where I thought, oh, okay, you know, that might be a problem here. Mm. And I think you just see so many people around you. It's just happened so easy for some. So mm. I just guess I expected... I'm healthy, you know, you know, Miles, my husband, he's mm-hmm. so healthy. <laughs> but yeah, we just were just naive thinking that it was going to be quick. Mm. And as I said at the start, it was really fun. We just kind of, yeah, had fun with it. I was mm. like, oh, I think I'm ovulating. Let's like, mm. you better duck home or we're on the way to somewhere. And he's like, let's just quickly go home. And, you know, it's so fun yeah. at that point. Was there a point through that where you started actually tracking? Was there like a time frame where you actually started, okay, like it's not happening. So like maybe we should just get more serious with like tracking it. Funnily enough, not for like a good six months. Yeah. It was, to be honest, I feel like we're not really taught, okay, you oh, have no. to have sex at this exact time. We're to get taught pregnant. don't have sex. Otherwise you uh, will have, you'll you get will, pregnant. Instantly. Exactly. We're told to, yeah. it's, you, will, you will have sex once and get yeah. pregnant. So I think it took us six months before I was sort of like, okay, hang on, there's something going on here. So I downloaded the apps. I was kind of aware of my symptoms, Mm. a bit more kind of just Googling what to look for, what to expect. And yeah, again, it was just sort of like a few months of me going, okay, I know I'm ovulating. You know, I'm quite symptomatic when I ovulate. So I was like, okay, this is the right time. Let's kind of go for it. And again, I was sort of thinking, we're trying now, really trying. It's going to happen. And then it didn't. So it was around November. So we'd be trying since March. And it's really like infertility world. It's really not that long, but... It feels like a lifetime when you're waiting and you're so excited. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it kind of got to around November and obviously wasn't pregnant and we were like, okay, let's plan a wedding. So that was kind of a focus and I think I was purely like, let's just focus on something to take my mind off Straight, this. Yeah. You know, maybe when I stop caring about it because that's what everyone says and I mean, if there's anybody listening that is trying and someone says that, it is so unhelpful. Mm. You know, at that point, you've tried to switch off. You've tried to go on a holiday. Yeah. You've tried to do all of those things to kind of calm your mind. And sometimes people just need help and that's just reality. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we planned a wedding and as soon as the wedding was done, um, I was like, we need to go see someone because at that point, oh, my God, I'm going to get upset already. I'm so embarrassing. <laughs> um, like at that point, I was like, like something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And I just think I knew intuitively that, that, that was, like, not good. Mm-hmm. So we went and saw a doctor and we started ovulation induction, which was in the March. So we mm-hmm. got married in February, so March last year. And we did five months of that. So that basically is just medication right. that tries to basically um, regulate your cycle in the okay. way of they kind of know when you're ovulating. And it's like a follicle-stimulating hormone. I think I'm not getting too medical here, but they it basically just make sure you ovulate. Mm. And I think you produce a few more eggs than you would normally. That's the aim anyway. So we did a couple of months of that. 
again, I'm so hopeful. We're adding medication. Surely this is going to work. Didn't work. And then I changed doctors, continued ovulation induction, but it was on a monitored Mm -hmm. kind of basis. So you'd go into the clinic, you'd have an internal, they'd check how big your follicles are. They would say, okay, you're not ready. Come back in two days. We'll check again. Then they'd say, your follicles are at the point where you're going to ovulate. Um, They give you one injection, which is called a trigger shot, which basically just means at a certain, I think it's like 36 hours later, you will ovulate. So they basically tell you, have sex this time, Mm -hmm. have sex at this this time. So it's kind of like very specifically timed. Mm. We did a couple of months of that. Nothing worked. How is that, if you don't mind me asking, I'm just like all for the TMI, but how is that on you guys like timing sex like that? Oh, yeah. It's hard. Yeah. And we adore each other, but it was it was really hard. Like a task. Yeah. It's just like, okay, at 9 o'clock tonight, you, and you get in bed and you look at each other and you're like, you both don't want to, you know, start, start it, it like because yeah. it feels so foreign and so clinical and, and not how you're used to doing mm. it. And unfortunately, like after a long time of trying, that just naturally happens yeah. because it becomes, you know, a task yeah. and like something that you have to that do. You want an so outcome. Yeah. it was really hard. And I think people who go through fertility in terms of couples, like you do have to kind of work on it afterwards as well to kind of bring that back where, Mm. okay, this is something for us to connect on and, you know, to show each other how much we love each other. But at that point, it's just like for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, So it was hard and it's still, you know, it is still still hard to kind of Mm. work through that. Um, So yeah, we, obviously that didn't work. And then we kind of started to look into the more heavy duty side of fertility assisted treatment. So the first thing we did was IUI. Mm. And again, I don't want to get too medical, but it's basically kind of like the step before IVF mm. where um, I should actually just mention as well, during this time, Miles has gone and got tested. Obviously, there's two people in a relationship yeah. and it's yep. a lot of the time there is male factor yep, absolutely. Um, that, that can contribute to infertility. I was like, when Miles went and got his test, I was like, please be something wrong. <laughs> it's not just, I was Aww. like, surely take this off my hands. Like, I don't want this... You know, I hate saying it, but it is a bit of guilt. Like mm. you think, why can't my body do this? And, you know, what is going on? Why am I I'm looking at these women every day with beautiful bellies and, and walking prams and I'm like, my body just can't do this. So I was like, hopefully it's miles because then we can work on it. Mm. And it's not just me that's kind of letting the team down. So it's a really hard thing to, you know, juggle. And it's so not true. You know, yeah, oh, you're both in it together. Yeah. And you know, not one of you is looking at each other going, you're the problem here. But when no. you're so emotional, that's just how you feel. Was there anything that Miles did, I suppose, especially when you guys found out that his sperm was healthy and was okay? Was there anything that he did through that that made you, I suppose, reassured that in you, that you're still a team, yeah. it doesn't matter, it's on you, um, helped yeah, you in any way? For sure. And I feel so lucky because he was such, such a great support for me. And this makes me emotional too because... I know so many people don't have that and fertility for us was such a solid part of our relationship and one of the hardest things we've ever been through. But now kind of going, have been through that, we are so strong. Mm. And that was because of the way that we respected each other whilst we were going through it. And he was amazing. Like He was like, you know, there's so many options and we can do this and here I am going, well, what if this doesn't work and what if we can never be parents? And Mm. He was the one that was sort of level-headed mm-hmm. and super calm. Trying to stay positive. Yeah. And he was the one that was like reassuring me that everything's going to be okay. And I'm so lucky because mm-hmm. you spiral 
you spiral mm. and you're that emotional. And when you're constantly every month doing, you know, peeing on a stick and seeing one line, you just get convinced that you're never going to see two lines. Mm-hmm. Like I had so many moments where I was like, this is never going to happen for us. Mm. And what do I do if this never happens for us? And I would always think about, obviously think about myself and go, I'll never get to experience being pregnant. I'll never get to experience to be a mum. But then I also think about him. And I'm like, you know, he's chosen me for his life partner and I can't give him a baby. It It was really hard and I was sort of like, okay, do I put a timeline on this where I go, okay, enough's enough. You know, I, you go off and, oh, yeah, it was, it was really hard. Um, and, oh, my God, I wouldn't even say that to him because he would just be like, you are a, excuse me, I'm just sorry. He's like, you're a fucking idiot. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, we are, you are my person. And, you know, I'd have days where I'm like, we're just so lucky to have each other. Yeah. You know, some people don't even find love. You know, surely I can be okay with just having him for the rest of my life. But obviously when you're so emotional, you're mm. not really thinking mm-hmm. about things like that. But he was amazing. I'm so lucky to have his positivity and the way he kind of like held me through it and just, mm-hmm. yeah, he really took control when I sort of was not in a good place. As I imagined. Yeah. Just, yeah. He's, I can only imagine him yeah. in that situation. He was great. And he's not really like a stress person. So he was actually, I think he says now, he was like, he was like, I was as sleepless as you. Mm-hmm. But he kind of came across to me like, We've got this. Like, yeah. it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Mm. So he really did make me believe that it was going to be okay because I felt he truly believed that. But going back now, he was like, man, I was so stressed. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is just natural. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we did a round of IUI. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that failed. And I was broken at that point. We didn't kind of, it was not that it's about the money, but I was like, okay, well, if we throw some, some money at this, surely mm-hmm. it has to work. Mm-hmm. My tests are perfect. His tests are perfect. Mm. We're both so healthy. They can't tell us. That was the hardest part. So that was the hardest part. They didn't even have like an answer. Yeah. No. And we were just constantly searching for answers. So I was so hopeful that the IUI would work. And then, yeah, obviously it failed. And then I kind of hit rock bottom from there Mm. and changed fertility clinics again, (laughs) Um, which is scary. You kind of feel like you're starting over. Yeah. But intuitively, I felt like it was the right thing to do. And I'm so glad I did. So... I went and saw my fertility doctor. She phoned me and she was like, okay, how are you going? Can you mm-hmm. come into the clinic on Monday? And at this point, I had just got the negative blood test so mm-hmm. that I knew I wasn't pregnant from the IUI and my period was going to start any day and I thought it was going to start the next day. Mm-hmm. And in fertility, the day you start your period is like day one of treatment, really, mm-hmm. of what you decide to do. And I knew I didn't want to do another round of IUI. I felt like it was a waste of time. And I was like, if it was going to work, it would have worked last time, you know. So she was like, can you come in on Monday? And I was like, actually, I think I'm going to get my period tomorrow, which is a Saturday. And she was so amazing. I had already done the pre-counselling and stuff um, with my previous fertility clinic. So I just had to send over all of the paperwork just Mm -hmm. to basically say, we know what we're doing. And I started IVF the next day. Wow. Yeah. So it was a bit of a moment where I was like, I can't believe I'm doing IVF. Mm. I was like, this came out of nowhere. Had you had any, so you were mentioning earlier that when you guys first started kind of toying with the idea of trying and having fun with it all, or people around you were getting pregnant and had you had many friends go through fertility issues at that point? No. So had, it was kind of foreign to you in a way. Like you obviously knew it existed. 
but what you were surrounded by, you hadn't experienced it. So when you guys were going and you first started going through, you know, IUI and everything, was that like, were you the first of your friends to go through that? Yeah, we were. So I had friends of friends that Mm -hmm. I knew that had done sort of like fertility-assisted stuff. But to be honest, if anything, the people around me were like, we fell pregnant the month we started trying. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, like I'm, I say that like it's a bad thing. It's no, amazing. No, and I'm so yeah. happy for the people that that happens to. But for me, it was, I didn't have kind of anyone super close to me yeah. that had gone through it. So I was navigating it quite blindly, mm. which is scary. Did you bond a lot though with anyone that you found that oh, could yeah. relate? Yeah. yeah. Big time. Yeah. So I have like IVF best friends that I yeah. call them. Yeah. <laughs> and I think when there's people that have gone through yeah. what you've gone through, you just connect on another level. Yeah. And you just know exactly how each other are feeling. So I did reach out to, and I think, which is a huge part of my journey, is I spoke to everyone I could. Mm. I My brother was like, I know this girl that did IVF. Do you want me to introduce you? And I was like, please. Yeah, because the more stories you hear, yeah. Exactly. And I think that's maybe what helped me progress on my journey. And, you know, our first round failed. And after speaking to people, I kind of knew, okay, maybe I'll ask for this test or maybe I'll push for this Mm. test. And obviously everybody's medical history is different, but I had kind of gotten in my head, there's something going on inside. Like I need to just, maybe it's an immune kind of response. So if you have like an an autoimmune that can affect your fertility. And I was like, I had a few blood tests that showed a couple of markers that were a little bit funny. Mm. It's such a wild world and you can't really get too much into it. I'd spent my nights like on Google, just kind of self-diagnosing and finding drugs that I thought would help it. But I think because I did reach out to so many people and hear so many stories, I kind of had a bit, not that I had a plan of attack, but I really advocated for myself. And I think that was really important because obviously you got to trust your doctor Mm. and trust a specialist, but at the same time, you know your body. Mm. And if you're an intuitive person like me, you're kind of like, oh, that doesn't feel right. Or maybe we should try this. And that was such a huge factor for us because I pushed for a test after our first failed round of IVF, which is quite medical again, but it's um, natural killer cells. They sound intense. Mm. <laughs> and I, yeah. yep. I, um, I was like really hopeful that I didn't have them, but they are much more common than you think. And basically it's just, it's your immune response to an embryo or mm-hmm. to basically a foreign body. And my body was basically fighting it off. Mm-hmm. So I did this test. My levels were super high. They were like, you got to take this drug, this drug, this mm. drug, and we'll try a next cycle. So introducing those steroids and those, um, you know, those things that helped our second transfer worked. And I think if I didn't speak to all of those people, mm. and I know it's hard, like you're going through something so emotional, you don't know how to articulate it, you know, you're very vulnerable. Mm. But if there's anybody listening that's going through fertility, reach out to people that you can because the more stories that you hear, even if it doesn't necessarily relate to you personally or 100%, Mm. you may take a couple of things from their journey that then can just, you know, propel you a little bit further or kind of, you know, help you along the journey because it's a long journey. And Mm. I want to be, you know, quite open when I say we are very lucky because our journey was only six months of fertility treatment. There was a lot, there was, it was about two years of trying, mm. but six months of treatment, mm. like in terms of IUI and IVF. That's a very small amount of time. Like mm. I've got friends that have been doing this for five years plus. Mm. And, you know, it doesn't always work for some people in terms of 
advocating for yourself, but if you can learn as much as you can and sort of, yeah, be as informed as you can, I think it really helps. Yeah, for sure. When you were going through the process of IVF, what was that like on your body? And like, take us through what that, what's involved in that. Yeah, I think it's such a, an emotional roller coaster. Mm. And when I first started, I was like, oh my God, like you pick up these huge bags mm. and the drugs have to be refrigerated and you're looking at it just so overwhelmed mm. going, what do I do with all of this? And you go to the chemist and they sort of take you through, okay, fill this solution in here and this goes in this injection and it's so overwhelming for me, I thought the injections were going to be like the most intense part because mm. it's such a bizarre thing mm. to have to do. Like mm. you go to the doctor and you get a, an immunization. You know, you don't necessarily do that yourself. And obviously there's people who are, you know, diabetic. Diabetics, it's very yeah, normal totally. for them. But, but for, for, you, for no, me, yeah. it was so foreign. And I was like, okay, this is going to be the most challenging part. So the first couple I got miles to do. And so obviously with IVF, the aim is to stimulate your ovaries enough to produce, you know, lots of eggs so that you go in for your egg retrieval so then you can fertilise the eggs. So the aim of the, the injections is to just pump you full of follicle-stimulating hormones and, and some other hormones and make those eggs grow. Mm. So that has a huge effect on your body. I was my first round because I have polycystic ovaries. Mm. I don't have the syndrome, just to clarify. Yeah. I just have the characteristics of yeah. a lot of follicles on my ovaries which didn't affect my fertility. They said it wasn't a factor in whatever was going on mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. um, if anything, it kind of means you've got a lot of eggs. So mm -hmm. it's kind I of I think that's looking. really good that you point that out as well, can I say, because I think when I was, I, I was the same. I had polycystic ovaries um, and I was almost put in fear that that was going to be a problem when I decided that I wanted to get pregnant. Well, like it was scary. like, just going to go hand in hand. You're going to have fertility issues. And it was so, I was so scared. And I know so many women in our community who do have a lot of the symptoms from polycystic ovaries may not have the syndrome, but are fearful that it's going to come into play when it comes to their fertility journey. So thank you for sharing that it doesn't necessarily mean yeah. it's I mean, going to affect it in a negative way. Well, at least I in your case. Yeah, I was going to say, I can't speak on behalf totally. of everybody, but for us, it was not a factor at yeah. all. If anything, they were implying to me, like, you've got a lot of eggs, mm. like, this is, this is good. You want eggs for IVF because it means that they've got stuff to work mm. with. So my first round, I was so stimulated by day six of the injections. And usually you kind of, everyone's different, but you have your collection around day 10 to 14, sometimes a bit later. I was always early because I stimulated really quickly. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was walking around with, which I was, but like just a tummy full of eggs. Mm. I, could, I almost could feel them moving mm. as I was walking and it was so uncomfortable. And I'm usually quite an active person, as you know, and it was really hard. Like I own my own businesses and I was trying to kind of balance it all. Balance it all. And it was so tough because not only emotionally it has such an effect on you, but physically you, you just Yeah. And the hormones, they make you tired, they make you moody. I kind of tried to approach it with this is short-lived, this part, and like it's all for the greater good. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll get through this really hard part of all the injections. This is just the shit part. Mm -hmm. And then I'll feel good. So I was actually pretty pleasantly surprised because I think it almost got harder, not physically, but emotionally after that. So yeah, we went in for the egg collection and because I was quite stimulated, I was really sore afterwards and everybody's different. Some people go to work the day after, mm. you know, you don't know how your body is going to respond. And that's the thing with fertility. 
they don't know how your body's going to respond. Mm-hmm. They can just do what they think is going to be right for you, um, but not necessarily know how your body's going to react. So, yeah, I was really sore. I couldn't walk for five days afterwards. I was petrified to go to the loo. Mm. And because obviously you go under, you have anesthetics, so that makes you constipated. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. it was TMI. But like, I was petrified to go to the yeah. bathroom for the first time because I was like, I feel like my insides are going to come out. I mean, I can't imagine what it feels no, like after say, birth. Wait, but... <laughs> wait till after birth. But yes, well, that was similar. that was enough for me mm. to sort of go, okay, this is this is hard physically mm-hmm. on the body. Um, and then, although recovering after that was was you know five days on the couch, just binge watching TV and drinking lots of water, um, lots of electrolytes. Uh, that's when the hard part, in my opinion, starts to happen. Is because when they remove your eggs, they get fertilized, and then those Fertilized eggs have to make it to be a what's called a blastocyst. So they need five days of development to be able to be transferred. Mm-hmm. So you can go in and get, you know, 10 or 12 eggs. I think our first round we got 12 eggs. By the time they figure out what ones are mature, they're fertilized. You don't know how many you're going to have left because, mm-hmm. you know, over those five days, some aren't strong enough and they they kind of just drop off. Mm-hmm. So every day you're sort of like waiting for an update from the clinic to go, okay, we lost two last night. And you go, okay, well, we're down to six. And every day you're sort of like, are we going to end up with any? Have I gone Mm. through all of these injections? You know, have I gone through this surgery Mm. to end up with how many embryos? You know, it's really emotionally the most, you know, you think you're in control because fertility is so, everything's kind of like you got an appointment on this date and you've got Mm. have sex on this time and you've got your egg collection at this time, you think it's controlled? Well, you think, because a certain amount of it is mathematical, but then there's this huge part of it that we don't talk about, obviously, until you go through fertility struggles. That's absolutely up to a miracle as well. Oh, it's completely yeah. out of your control. Yeah. And that's what I mean. You think it's controlled yeah. because everything's like organized, yeah. but it's so not, it's not. And you have no idea what's going to happen, which is such a roller coaster. Yeah. And I was very, I guess, naive with my first time and my first round of IVF because we had 12 eggs and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get seven or eight embryos. And we ended up getting to day five and we had five and I was like, okay, this is fantastic. That means I'm not going to have to do another egg collection, hopefully. We'll transfer one. If that fails, God forbid, I've got four more embryos that we can just each month, um, I don't have to do all the drugs again. I don't have to do the the egg collection again Mm -hmm. and we can just transfer embryos. So we transferred our first embryo and honestly, that moment is almost like, when they put the embryo in, you're mm. like, I'm pregnant. Mm. You know, obviously you don't know if it's going to stick, but you have this mentality, Yeah, my baby's inside of me, and you're so hopeful that your body's going to know what to do with it, and then it's going to stick, and you analyze every symptom. Like, I'd be like Googling itchy right toe, does this mean I'm pregnant? Yeah. You know, you're just overanalyzing every kind of symptom because you're like, it's so possible. Mm. This embryo, it's lasted five days. It's got a good grading on their kind of, technology, their embryo technology, surely it has to fit. And then, yeah, you just wait 12 days. Some fertility clinics are longer. Ours was 12 days. And you do a blood test, whether they tell you you're pregnant or not, and then they call you with the results. And um, during that time, you just convince yourself, okay, yeah. it's going to work, it's going to work, it's going to work. And we... I did the day, actually, the day that we're supposed to do our blood test. I was like, Miles, I need to do the pee. I did a pee on the stick. I need to know, like, I don't want to wait for this call. It's going to break my heart if it's not mm-hmm. positive. I just want to 
preempt. I want to prepare myself if it's if it's negative. And I think I kind of knew it was negative my first round. I don't know if it's just the fear mm-hmm. and the constant, like, you're used to yeah. seeing negative tests, but I just kind of felt like I didn't think it had worked. Mm-hmm. Um, I peed on a stick that morning, sure enough, negative. And, yeah, that's the hardest part. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard part about IVF is because you think this has to work, mm. throwing everything at it, and then you're back at square one. Mm. And unfortunately, we also found out the day after our transfer, our other four embryos didn't make it. So I was like with that added pressure of going, now I have to start again. Mm-hmm. I have to do the drugs again. I have to do the collection again. And then start all this again, not knowing if I'm going to be back here. Yeah, do the same thing. In another, what, 30 days. So mm-hmm. I did two back-to-back collections, which is quite intense on your body because obviously you got just drugs and drugs and drugs, and there's so many women that do two and three back-to-back. And, like, women that go through IVF are warriors. Like, I know Mm. it's a cliche saying, but you just put your mind, body through so much. Mm. And, again, prefacing, we're so lucky. I only did two because I know girls that have done 12, 13, 14, Mm. and I could not even imagine Mm. how that feels. Yeah, we were very lucky on our second transfer. We... I did. Miles was like, it's very superstitious. He's mm. like, you're not peeing on a stick this time. Really? That thing is the devil. Yeah. And um, we waited for the call. Mm-hmm. And I think, did you feel like you knew? Yeah, I think I did. Day five, I called the clinic and I was like, hasn't fucking worked. <laughs> We're doing this. I'm trying this drug. I want to see a hematologist. I was like Googling everything mm. under sun thinking I was a fertility specialist. Like... <laughs> I just thought I was, I knew exactly, I just think you're in damage control. Yeah, of course. And she was like, can you relax? Mm. We are day five. It hasn't even implanted yet. Like, just chill. So then I sort of tried to take her advice. And then by day six, I had actually a bit of implantation bleeding. Mm. I was sort of waiting for it, but not everyone gets it. And it's a bit of a taboo topic. Some Mm. people say it's not a thing, but for me, it was a thing. Mm. I wiped, I had a bit of pink and I was like, walked up to Miles and I was bawling my eyes out and I was like showing him like this toilet paper. Mm. He's like, what? What is it? What's wrong? And mm. I was crying. I was like, oh, there's blood. Like, I think this is good. Yeah. And he was just associates blood with periods. Of so he was like, how the fuck is that good? Yeah, I know. <laughs> no yeah, idea. They but don't get him, but yeah. Yeah, I just had this feeling that it had worked. And then the night before, I was actually flying to Noosa because Miles was there and we were going to get our test results together. So I said to the clinic, don't call me until exactly 2 p.m. Melbourne time. I'll be with Miles was negative like I need to be with, with him because I'm yeah. not going to cope and yeah it was the most magical moment of my life when they called because you just are so used to having had failed rounds and negative tests mm. and it's not until you hear those words that you're like oh my god it's worked and we were sitting I remember we we're sitting on like two banana lounges facing each other and it was so hot in Noosa and Miles was like profusely sweating I don't know if it was because of the heat or because he was so Nervous. stressed. Yeah. Um, and then he was supposed to answer the call when she called, but he was like, he went mute because he was just like in shock. And then I answered the phone and she was like, it worked. You're, you're going to, oh, she's like, it worked. You're pregnant. Mm. And I just fell to the floor and we both were sobbing. And yeah, it will go down as one of the best moments, obviously, at my wedding. And I'm sure the day my baby's born, but oh, thinking yeah, that you're special. never sure thinking that you're never going to be pregnant and then someone saying to me, you're pregnant. I just cannot explain that feeling. Yeah. 
yeah, it's wonderful. It's just like, oh, I, I can only imagine, I can only imagine the excitement. And I hope you don't mind me asking this, but, you know, something else that we've spoken at length on in this podcast is um, the sad reality of miscarriages, especially, you know, in the first trimester being as common as one in four women experiencing one. Did that, was there ever a moment when you're in your excitement that you then started to switch to worry about that? God, yeah, it was immediately. Yeah. I had a, I reckon that first initial, you're pregnant, all my worries left me for probably five minutes. Yeah. And then I just went into, oh my God, I need to protect this. And you're, you find out so early with IVF. So yeah. I was like, God, this is going to be a long, I think I was four weeks pregnant. So mm. I was like, it's going to be a long time till you get to that 12, 13, as they say, safe stage. Yeah. And I was petrified that I was going to lose it. I was petrified. Which, when you've gone through so much to get it, yeah, I think that added anxiety totally. of it could be taken away from you any second was terrifying. Mm-hmm. I like was basically wrapping myself in cotton wool. Mm. Like I didn't exercise. Mm. I was not that that does anything, no, but I was but just, you were just so yeah. scared of yeah. doing anything wrong, um, which is not a nice feeling. No, but at the end of the day, I was like, this feels right. So mm-hmm. we had a scan at six weeks, which was an early scan, and. We saw the heartbeat for the first time, which was quite early, and it was so magical. Um, but then I actually flew to Sydney the next day. I had to attend this event for work. And I remember. Yeah. You you know, I got there. I was in hair and makeup. I was mm-hmm. in fittings. It was such a crazy, busy day. And that was the first time I've actually done anything intense since starting IVF because mm-hmm. I just had no energy. Yeah. And also, I didn't want to. I was sort of like in my little world. I was protected in my little world. Mm-hmm. And doing anything that kind of... Not, I don't want this to sound wrong, but I felt like going out and living a glamorous life mm. and going to these beautiful events just didn't tie in with how I felt. So yeah. I was like, this is not me being genuine. I don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. I want to basically be at home with my husband and my dog mm. crying or just be, you know, in my own space where I feel comfortable. Anyways, it was the first time I'd kind of done anything like that. And I got there and I was literally about to walk out the door. Like it was, my car was picking me up at 5.45. It was 5.40. And my makeup artist, Max, was putting, he was putting moisturizer on me and I was like, ooh, I feel weird down there. Mind you, I'm on progesterone suppositories mm. like every day. I think I was on like three a day or four a day. So I was like, maybe it's just progesterone coming out or I don't know, but I felt strange down there. And I was like, should I go to the bathroom now? I don't want to crease my dress or do I just go when I get there? And he's like, just go now, just get it out of the way. So I went to the loo and I just saw like, I'm sorry, this is probably a bit triggering, so I'm sorry. We'll put a trigger warning. Yeah. Um, I just saw blood mm. and not just like a speck, mm. not just a little bit. I'm mm. talking blood clots mm. and just heavy, heavy blood. And I just, I feel like I died inside. Mm. And I actually have a little bit of um, like PTSD yeah. from it, but I'm getting better now. But I just was, every time I wipe, I just get so scared that I'm going to see that again. Yeah. And I'm... No, on a, obviously the baby was fine, but at that time I was convinced it was gone. I called Miles, I was in a panic, and obviously he's devastated because he's not with me. And I called the fertility clinic and they're calling me and they're like, you know, it doesn't always mean a miscarriage, mm. which I couldn't comprehend. Mm. I think it's actually really important totally. to share stories like this. Mm-hmm. Obviously, one, to make other women feel like they're not alone, but two, for, for knowledge. Yeah, totally. I didn't know that you could bleed that much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes in very lucky circumstances that it's actually not a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. 
So I was convinced. I was literally looking at a clock. I sent a photo to my fertility doctor and I was like, that's my baby. And she was like, mm. take a breath, calm down. You know, don't, you can't go to the event. Yeah. You need to lay down. So yeah. I took myself to bed. Anyway, I got up in the morning, drove, got straight on a flight. By this point, I had sort of bleeding had subsided. Mm-hmm. I did bleed quite heavily that, like, that, that night. Like, I was made Max run down and get me, like, maternity pads because I just didn't know what was going on. Mm. And I made Miles meet me in Melbourne. He drove up from Portsea where we live because I was like, if this is bad news, babe, like, I can't handle this on my own. Like, I'm going to be absolutely, I'm going to be a mess um, as anyone is when they lose when they lose a baby. So he drove up and I was driving to the clinic and I was on the phone to him and I was like, I don't even want to go. I was just wanted to, I think as the bleeding has subsided, I was like, I'm going to pretend didn't that this didn't happen mm. and the baby's there and I don't want to go to this clinic and they tell me that everything that I've been or everything I've wanted is now, I'm back to square one. And I was so scared, but I got to the clinic and I'm so thankful. Like she did an internal and she's like, baby's there, the baby's fine. And we just, both of us, sobbed at that point because we just couldn't believe it. And I think it's really, as I said, really important to share that because we're not taught Mm. that these things can happen. And it ended up being a a little blood clot in my uterus, which we had to manage. And it was, it's called a threatened miscarriage. So it was something we did have to keep an eye on. But I have had consistent bleeds. Probably, I think I've had about five episodes Mm -hmm. as as big bleeds like Mm -hmm. that up until 13 weeks. Mm -hmm. And touch wood, I'm 20 weeks on Saturday and I haven't bled since 13 weeks. So mm. the hematoma, which it's called, the blood clot, that cleared up. I did have an ex- a little bit of extra bleeding with my placenta that was low. That has actually now, it's moved. So my doctor called me last week and, and he's it like... stays put. I know, I'm like, get out the way. <laughs> but he said, he's like, look, from here on, yeah. I think your pregnancy is going to be normal. So... Mm been a roller coaster. Mm. It's been, yeah, I've just learned so much and as much as it's been the hardest thing, like beyond anything that I thought that I kind of, I don't know, obviously you go through things in life and you face challenges and hurdles Mm. and that's just life. You can't really prepare yourself for what something like this does to you, but in ways it's also made me a better person. It's made me more grateful. It's made my relationship, I'm thankful because it doesn't always happen, but it's made my relationship stronger. Mm. It's just taught me so much. Like, I think you learn the most when you go through challenges Mm. and, you know, it was the most traumatic thing, but I like, I wouldn't take it back. And, you know, I've got my beautiful baby Mm. growing in me now and I literally look in the mirror every day and I'm like, oh my God, I'm pregnant. Like, I just, (laughs) it still feels fake. It doesn't feel real. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been wild. Oh, um, I'm sorry. I'm just so happy for you. Um, I feel like I've like been on the verge of like having a burst out tears this whole time. <laughs> this is why we should have caught up. I before. know, beforehand, got um, out the way. But no, I think it's so special, B. And it's also, I mean, before we f- finish up, I think also for anyone who might know someone who's going through fertility struggles, regardless of whether they're going through IVF or they're just trying and finding it hard. And they might be someone, so they, as in the person listening, might be someone who has had a baby or has been able to successfully get pregnant and they want to navigate being there for their friend. As you said, it's you, you tend to bond closer and I completely understand why, but with those who can relate and those who might have gone through it. But 
I'm sure obviously you would have lent on a lot of friends who couldn't relate. So what was it that they could do to kind of help support you and, and everything through that time? Yeah, big time. And I think I'd be doing my friends a disservice by not saying how amazing <laughs> they were as well. Obviously, I had my IVF besties who I could just like text at any hour yeah. of the night with with tears and whatever. But yeah, I relied on my best friends a lot and I felt comfortable opening up. And I think giving advice is quite difficult because every person that's suffering totally. and going through infertility, they handle things differently and their emotions are different. But for me, people that were checking in on me, I loved that. You know, I really, even if they didn't understand, that meant a lot to me. And asking how you're feeling, letting you talk about your fertility, letting you talk about the tests that you've done. Even if you feel like you've spoken about it flat out, your friends listening just makes you feel like you're being hurt mm. and you're getting it off your chest as well because it's on your mind 24-7. Mm. There's not a time when you're going through infertility that you're not in the back of your mind thinking about it. So yeah, my advice would be if you're trying to support somebody, just be there for them, mm. be kind, be patient. You know, as I said earlier, maybe don't say have a break or just try yeah. and relax because, you know, they've they've tried that and it hasn't worked for them. And that's just some people's journey and it will work for them when the time is right. You know, I really hope that anyone that is going through it, that is listening, I, you know, I pray that you're going to be yeah. blessed with your miracle. But yeah, I just think being patient is really nice and mm -hmm. just picking up the phone. How are you going? Don't give unsolicited advice. Just yeah. listen. Yeah. Just listen and go, I'm here for you. Mm. What you're feeling is valid cry with them because they don't know how they're feeling either. Mm. And there's actually not one thing that you can say that's going to make them feel better mm. because the only thing that's going to make them feel better is, you know, falling pregnant and, yeah. and being able to start their family. So it's tricky and I do try and put myself in, in both shoes because it's so hard for friends to mm. support as well. So I was wary of that when I was going through it. I'm like, my friend doesn't know how to comfort me right now. I don't even know how to comfort myself. I don't know what I need. Mm. But I think that's just like a hug and I'm yeah. here for you and you've got this and anytime you need me, I'm here. Yeah, oh, I think that's great advice. And I want to thank you as well, not just for coming on here and obviously talking about it into so much detail as well. Very much appreciate the generosity on the, how much you've shared. But also I know, which might sound weird to people who might follow you or know of you with having a public profile, you're actually a very private person. Like you keep your private life pretty close too. And that is your choice, yeah. how much you share. And so I think to be so open with how much you're sharing when it comes to this, which is such a delicate and such a personal thing, I think is really, really amazing. Not everyone has to do it and it's it's not up to everyone to do it either. I'm definitely not saying that, but I think you would be helping a lot of women um, by talking about it. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I am quite private and so is Miles. Mm. He's very private. But when we were going through this, there was a point where he was like, we need to talk about this. You know, people need to hear our story. And for me personally, reaching out to other people who had done IVF, that was the one thing that kind of on my dark days, I was like, I feel a little better because mm -hmm. I heard that story. I learned something or I see her with her baby now. And as much as it was a terrifying thing to speak out about, I, I feel as though almost this has happened to me to talk about it. Uh, in a way, it's so strange, but I feel like, you know, I've been so lucky to have the platform that I do. I haven't really used it in a way that's been, you know, I've obviously started businesses yeah, and I'm course. so grateful for everything that I've sort of done in my life, but I think this means something and this helps mm -hmm. people. And that, you know, if I can help 
one person or, or, two, or two people or even for Miles to talk about it to, with some men, if you know that you're helping people, it's just such a nice thing. And, yeah, we kind of just knew that we needed, we couldn't keep quiet about it. Mm. And it changes you. Mm. I'm not the same person that I was and I feel like I'd be trying to be someone I'm not if I didn't share mm. that part of me. So, mm -hmm. yeah, thank you. It was really hard to mm. speak out, but I'm glad that we did. And, yeah, I hope that, you know, and our, our story has made a difference and, mm. and people can, you know, take a bit of hope and see light at the end of the tunnel because, yeah, there is. Mm. Well, there certainly is. And I just felt like I have to leave this on a, on a bit of a laugh because oh of what you just said about not being the same person. But I think to the point that you admitted to me for years that you were dating, you couldn't even take poo around Miles. I still can't. Let alone show him like, wait, you still can't? No. But you can show him your like discharge and blood on a yeah. tissue. What? I've Brooke? still, you're going to laugh. I've never... <laughs> I'm going to sound too fancy when I say this. So I'm just going to say the word. I've never farted in front of him unless you it's in my sleep. Oh, my God. I don't know. I'm so weird. I'm very private. In my... <laughs> I was like, wow, she's changed. <laughs> like, I have to hold it in. I have to go oh to another God. room. That is No, so I haven't funny. changed in that way. I wish I had. <laughs> would make things a lot easier. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. No, thank you so much. <laughs> Well, we hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. We'll pop Brooke's info in the show notes so you can check her out and follow along her journey further if you wish to. I will be back in your ears with another KickPod episode on Monday with Lawsy and another Kick Pump pod... Kick Pump. Oh, it's a new one, is it? No, Kick Bump podcast in a fortnight from now. If you would like to see or learn more about Kick, you can head to our website, kickacleaner.com. We also have an app, so check out our app from the Google Play or Apple App Store. And if you would like to get in contact and be involved in the podcast, you can find us on Instagram at KickPod. And I am Steph Claire Smith. It was lovely chatting to you and I'll be back in your ear shortly. Bye.